and welcome back to the Counted Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Ahan, at Ahan Rungta on Twitter. It is MLB opening day. I am ready for baseball, even though I tried to tell myself I wasn't going to get too excited for the start of the season. I can't help myself. I just am. And welcome to the debut of the podcast on Twitch. Now, before we get started, I want to go through a couple of procedures. For those of you who are listening to the podcast afterwards, um, you are either hearing this on Spotify, on SoundCloud, on Anchor, uh, or on Apple Podcasts. This was live streamed on Twitch. There are a few people joining us live on Twitch, maybe asking questions later on. If you are watching on YouTube, make sure you sub to the channel. There are uh, several videos, uh, not really related to each other, but play game shows on the channel, baseball takes. And this is the first podcast that's going on the YouTube channel, so make sure you sub. Now, before we get started and introduce my co-guest, I want to give a huge shout out, and I will type this in the uh, Twitch chat right now, to Trev Teeps. For those of you who play MLB The Show, the stub master, the uh, king of the community market for MLB The Show, it was his idea. I don't know why the command did not work, but go check out Trev Teeps. He streams MLB. Give him some love. This was pretty much his idea to get the podcast on Twitch. So thank you for that. And let's get to our scheduled program for today. I am joined by Yoa. Yoa, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Yoa Clifton. I'm a lifelong baseball fan. Originally, I was a fan of the Devil Rays and the Expos, and now I am a fan of the Rays and the Nationals. Oh, Trev Teeps with the host. I'm probably going to edit that out of YouTube. But Trev Teeps, thank you so much for the host. I just talked about you. I just gave you a shout out. But thank you so much, man. What's up, Titan? Thank you for joining the stream. Thank you, Trev. No, really, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I just introduced you. Trev Teeps in the house. Everybody say hello. Give him a follow. So, yeah, um, for those of you who don't know me, I am Ahan. I am a fan of the Boston Red Sox and the Washington Nationals, uh, which is uh, most of our baseball talk, uh, me and Yoa, um, went to the same college, but uh, that, was, that was our sports connection right there, the Washington Nationals. And, shall I say, the World Series champion, Washington Nationals. Uh, I'm wearing the All-Star Game hat. So today, we are going to be talking everything you need to know about the 2020 MLB season. I know some of you joining from Trev's chat, so go, go ahead, say the procedures one more time. All the commands are in the title podcast to follow my podcast, YT to follow my YouTube. Both, uh, both platforms will have this stream on it afterwards, later tonight. Questions, if you want to ask questions and social, if you want to talk more sports with me afterwards. We will be taking live questions. We can answer, them some, answer some of them right away, answer some of them later, but I'm excited. Let's get going. We got a lot of content to talk about. So, yo, I'm going to start by talking about the review of what is happening. So if you guys have been living under a rock, AKA denial that baseball is not here, we got a 60 game regular season. Everybody knows that 40 games against the division and 20 games against the corresponding division across the league. So for example, the AL East playing 40 games against AL East opponents, 20 games against NL East opponents, which means the Rays and Nationals face off the Red Sox and Nationals face off. So that's going to be interesting. Tonight is opening day. If you missed it, Dodgers, Giants, uh, Reds, Red Sox, 
Yankees Nationals. And it uh, looks like it could be a rainy night in D.C., but hopefully the game happens. Otherwise, I'll probably be in Ben's chat playing MLB The Show. So uh, that's, the, that, that's what's going on with baseball this year. Teams are still traveling. I want to bring that to attention. We can talk a little bit about that. Waiting on the Blue Jays question mark, sort of. Trev, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's still not 100% final where the Blue Jays are playing. PNC Park, an option. Nationals Park, an option. Orioles Park, also an option. Blue Jays probably will have to uh, stay the home team uh, not in their home um, for um, a couple of games at least. Uh, Trev confirms, homeless Toronto Blue Jays. Canada is not allowing the Toronto Blue Jays to play home games in Toronto due to the pandemic, according to a statement from the country's Minister of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship. So, where will the Blue Jays play? I want to hear some guesses. The trade deadline will be August 31. We got the Universal DH as well, and I want to hear your thoughts on this in a minute. We got extra inning games that'll start uh, in which we'll have a runner on second base. I, I got to take a minute to sink that in every time I read it because I so loathe the extra innings runner on second base rule. And as a Rays fan, yo, I'm sure you're excited about this one, the three batter minimum. So Kevin Cash not getting as much cardio during Rays games. And I want to talk a little bit about all these changes to baseball. Uh, yo, uh, what stands out to you as the most impactful among all the things that we see from baseball so far? Well, um, I guess if you're Brendan McKay, it might be the rule about having to designate somebody as either a position player or a pitcher. But for most people, it's probably not going to be that one. Um, so from an overall um, fan perspective, well, the three, the three better minimum stands out to me, but Maybe, maybe universal DH is a bigger deal, but on the other hand, it just makes the National League like the American League, so it's not like introducing something totally new. So I, I think I'll, I'll go with three batter minimum. Okay, yeah, and since you brought up three batter minimum, uh, yay or nay, I want, I want to hear, I'm putting you on the spot uh, as a Rays fan, and maybe nay is what is, would be my guess, but from an unbiased perspective, as much as you can do that, three batter minimum, yay or nay, do you want that to stick around? I do not want it to stick around. Um, and I actually think it's a bit of a lost opportunity this particular season because one thing that nobody likes is when you have like three pitching changes in a row and it takes like 10 minutes without any baseball actually happening. Um, now, of course, if you're a fan at the game, this must be annoying. This year, there's no fans at the game anyway. So it's almost <laughs> like the, the thing we're trying to avoid is less of an issue here. And I feel like if you're watching a game on TV, maybe the annoying 10 minutes of pitching changes is an opportunity um, for some more engagement between the commentators and the fans. I don't know. It could be like a fun trivia thing or talk about social issues or something. I mean, maybe there's nothing you do in the middle of a tense part of the game. But I feel like there's a way to maybe spice up the – the pitching changes with the downtime where you couldn't necessarily do it at the actual park, but on TV you could, and now we don't have to worry about the actual park. So for this year, it seems like the year where it's least necessary. Right. And I, I do want to say, I think the three batter minimum 
as unfortunate as it may sound, will stick around. I think they're using this year as a test run for it to stick around in the future because uh, Rob Manfred, we all know, uh, hates baseball. So uh, he, that's few, uh, two more minutes that he can shave off his time each day having to watch baseball um, in every game. So uh, definitely advantageous for him so he can get in uh, that extra breakfast cereal that he wants in the morning. Now, when it comes to actually impacting the game, take a look at the 2019 appearances by relief pitchers that lasted zero, one, or two batters. And something I was discussing uh, with uh, Yoa last night was zero batters. Um, but yes, this does include zero batter appearances. Um, Bokoffs count as zero batter, uh, I believe. That's pretty much the only scenario. Uh, maybe a wild pitch uh, walk-off counts as one batter or zero batters. Not quite sure. But you take a look at the impact that uh, being able to bring in a reliever for one or two batters has. The graphic is appearing on the screen for those watching on YouTube right now. Cleveland, the number one in those appearances. The Rays obviously up there. But the White Sox, some of these astonish me a little bit. The White Sox, I know they use Aaron Bummer sometimes as a lefty specialist. The Arizona Diamondbacks, the Phillies, the Dodgers, the Mets, all very relevant teams that have to change a lot because of the three batter minimum. World Series champion Washington Nationals also in the top 10 in such appearances. And I know the Nationals bullpen was not an example um, of proper usage of bullpen, but definitely a lot of relevant teams do rely on those lefty specialists. And I want to tie this back to the universal DH. The universal DH is meant to add 15 jobs. The three batter minimum is taking away those lefty specialists, couple righty specialists as well, side armors. So what's going on here? I thought the point of the three batter minimum was to shave time, but it's doing something detrimental for the players, which is removing jobs. And the universal yeah. DH, obviously to keep pitchers healthy, but... I thought part of the, the reason that was happening was to help get more jobs. Somebody like Dominic Smith can DH. Somebody like Yohannes Cespedes, who isn't the same defender he used to be, can DH for the Mets. And now we're kind of getting this canceling effect. So I'm not a fan of a bunch of these things, but it is what it is. The playoff format is as usual for 2020 or now. It is opening day tonight, but we know Rob Manfred doesn't have anything figured out. The Blue Jays don't know where they're going to play. And now the playoff format might be expanded as well. And I wanted to use that as a segue to concerns that we have for the players who are actually playing the game. Believe it or not, they are humans too. So I want to just talk about the list of positive tests, the list of players opting out. I'm not going to read off the whole list, but just to give you an idea of the magnitude it has Miguel Sano, Charlie Blackman, the greatest player ever to be born, Williams Astudillo. Eduardo Rodriguez had extra complications show up this morning in his negative test, but he tested positive earlier. Freddie Freeman, superstar in our game, Will Smith, Tommy Pham, Tyler Glasnow, Joey Gallo, Roldis Chapman, DJ LeMahieu, Jesus Luzardo. It doesn't matter whether they're big names or not. That was a short preview of the big names. Nobody should be forced to play, which is why some players are opting out. Mike Leake, Ryan Zimmerman, Joe Ross, Tyson Ross, 
Ian Desmond, David Price, Felix Hernandez, Nick Markakis, Buster Posey, Michael Kopech, huge name in the White Sox organization, Jordan Hicks, Colin McHugh for the Red Sox. And, yo, you also bring up the point of umpires opting out. Could you speak to that a little? I mean, I know about 12 or so have opted out so far. Maybe it'll go up. Um, but, I mean, they have the same concerns the players have. And why, why shouldn't they? So, I don't know if there's maybe less of a reason that anyone who hasn't already opted out wouldn't would opt out now after not having done it previously. But on the other hand, who knows what's going to happen in the next few months. So it's just something else to keep in mind. A lot more personnel in the game than just players. And this is your daily reminder that Joe West is an idiot. And I know Joe, he might be watching this because I met this guy a couple of times. He's probably not. Joe, look at me. You're an idiot. Now, with so many players testing positive and the country is so varied in terms of pandemic progress, we got Florida, need I say more. We have Massachusetts, we got Boston in a much better situation. It varies all over the country. People are still traveling, even though it's just within their quote unquote region, people are still traveling. Now, my concern is players are gonna keep testing positive and we're just gonna have to suck it up and say, by the end of the season, we might have a situation where 20% of our superstars have tested positive or done for the season or in and out. But will the season even come to a completion? That is a real concern. And for those of you watching in Twitch, you can type exclamation mark writing. I write for a Red Sox blog. And I wrote about how I'm seriously concerned that the season might not even complete. So I think people should really think about that. And when it comes to guys opting out way through the season. You know, I know you had some thoughts on this as well. I mean, it, it's really unclear. I mean, if the situation gets a lot worse once things start up again, we might see more guys opting out. And then you have to wonder, I don't know if this is actually something that could really happen, but if there was a guy whose service time was manipulated, let's say he got held down in the minors for extra two weeks in April so the um, team could keep control of him for another year, Maybe he sees he has 4.96 years of service time. Maybe he says, okay, I'll, I'll get enough days to go over five years. But then from like a contract perspective, I'm not additionally benefiting from sticking around if things get worse. And you could say, oh, well, he's selfish. No, he's not selfish. He's acting in his own best interest. And with the national crisis going on, in some cases, you do have to act in your own best interest. Um, but again, that might not be... Um, something that happens, but it's definitely something that could happen. And then you could also have a situation where um, a veteran guy that's maybe not benefiting from, like he already has 10, 15 years of service time, sticking around maybe isn't doing anything for him contract-wise. So if he's on a team that's really struggling and not going anywhere in September and things are getting worse, maybe he'll opt out. Uh, on the other hand, um, maybe almost every team will still be a contender in September just because half the season is going to be in September. Right. And my, my, my main issue with this is I'm seeing all over the place for the, te for the uh, fans of bad teams and for the, sa for, the, for the sake of this argument, I will claim that the Red Sox are a bad team. Do not, do not catch me on record saying I, I claim that the Red Sox are a bad team. But for the sake of this argument, let's be honest, they're not a real championship contender, especially if the season was 162 games without, this, without pitching. But... The Nationals, 
definitely a, kin- a contender, 162 games or not. So I'm a fan of one team that's not a contender at all and one team that is a contender, so I'm going to claim I'm unbiased about this. I mean, come on. Uh, does the championship have an asterisk next to it? And I know people are going to say, asterisk or not, I want my team to win a championship, or I don't care if my team wins a championship. So as a fan of a team that is definitely not going to win a championship and a team that might, am I going to claim the entire season that I want my team to win a championship? Absolutely. I want my team to win, but does it have an asterisk? I know Mariano Rivera said, hell no, this season doesn't count. Yo, if the Nationals win a World Series this year, or if the Rays win a World Series this year, what, what is your reaction to people saying there's an asterisk, it doesn't count? I mean, the thing is, it's maybe a little different for a team that's already pretty good. Like, the Nationals win, it's back-to-back. That's legitimate back-to-back, I think. Um, now, if you're at a team that was, like, completely terrible last year, wins a World Series in a short season, goes back to being completely terrible next year, is that somehow not being immediately good before or after, does it make it less legitimate? I'm not sure. I mean, is the Red Sox 2013 less legitimate because they were garbage in 2012 and 2014? Maybe not. Um, but I, I do think like the Nationals, Nationals going back to back, I feel like in some sense, maybe it's not as dominating as another team going back to back, like 92, 93 Blue Jays or 98, 99, 2000 Yankees. But I feel like established team continuing to be good I mean, they're still good. I mean, it's not as big a deal as winning last year, but they're still good. I mean, if the, if the Rays the Rays win to be their first championship, it'll be their first championship. You you can't say they weren't champions. I mean, it's 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 not like completely unblemished, but I, I I'd say only like twenty percent of an asterisk. Fair enough. Um, and to make to to put my to put my uh, opinion on record. If the Yankees win a World Series this year, it's 100% legitimate. No excuses. Do I think that the team that wins a championship might just end up being the team that is the most healthy in their superstar status? Absolutely. Will I say that if the Red Sox somehow win the World Series with Martin Perez as a Cy Young winner, will I claim that the Red Sox deserved it? Absolutely. Similarly, if the Yankees win the World Series, if the Dodgers win the World Series, if the Rays win the World Series, it is 100% legitimate. I just think you can't say that the Raptors winning a championship with Kevin Durant down, Klay Thompson down, was 100% legitimate. But all of a sudden, in baseball, if throughout the season everybody is subject to pretty much the same environment with them having to travel, having to get exposed it's fair game. Injuries are part of the game. Being sick is part of the game. Can you do anything about it? No. But asterisk or no asterisk, I don't care. You have to give credit where credit is due. People still got to play the game. So cut, cut out the talk about asterisks is my the other. The other thing I'll add in, we're talking about teams being contenders versus not contenders. I think you might also have some fake contenders. So let's go back to last season. After 30 games, who was 18 and 12? It was the Seattle Mariners. So now if you have a team who's winning 60% of their games halfway through the season, that's surely a contender, right? So even though maybe they were a weak team on paper, it was a bit of a fluke starting 13-2 and and all that, you could have a team that in this given situation becomes a contender, possibly just sort of from random chance. 
And then who knows, maybe the fact that teams have already kind of stratified to contenders or not, maybe they go for it with the trades. Maybe they don't, but the fact is they keep the momentum a little bit longer. I don't know. It's possible. Yeah. And you bring up the Mariners, you can bring up the Nationals, literally the opposite ends of the good at the end of the season spectrum. The Mariners 16 and one, I believe after 17 games, that is a playoff lock. If somebody starts 16 and one pretty much, that would have to be a 2011 S collapse for the Red Sox. If you scale it to this season or a 2011 esque comeback for some other team, such as the nationals, what they did last year. So yes, I, I see that if bad teams make it, it it's like, okay, that they, they were bad on paper. I mean, they made the playoffs and your team didn't suck it up. So that's what, that's what I feel about the asterisk. Now we're going to move into the predictions and I know people are waiting for this because People who know me love my predictions. I mean, that, that, that's why people are friends with me, for my predictions. So, we're going to get some predictions going pretty soon. I'm already seeing predictions in the chat. AL MVP, Jimon Choi. Yes, sir. Christian Vasquez, ALCS MVP. I'm going to take an 80-1 to bet against that. Orioles versus Marlins 2020 World Series. I got to love the energy in the chat. So, keep telling us your predictions. Who do you think? has the easiest schedule, who's going to make the playoffs, who are your dark horses, because we're getting to that right now. Regions, I mentioned the West playing each other, the Central playing each other, the East playing each other. So with the team schedule as such, which regions are the toughest slash easiest? So we got the West with the Astros, Angels, Rangers, Mariners, Athletics, Dodgers, D-backs, Padres, Rockies, and Giants. Very interesting mix of teams there. Central with the Twins, Royals, Tigers, Indians, White Sox, Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, Reds, Pirates, and the East, where both my team, both Yoa's team reside, Red Sox, Rays, Yankees, Orioles, Blue Jays, Nationals, Braves, Phillies, Mets, and Marlins, the teams will be ranked in their division as normal. Y'all, I'll let you start off. What divisions are looking spicy? I mean, I got to say, it's just kind of surreal hearing, let's talk about what regions are the strongest as opposed to what divisions are the strongest because typically the fact you wouldn't think of the AL West and the NL West as one entity, but I guess for this year they sort of are, except not for determining playoff position. So um, strongest division, I mean, I think the American League East has possibly the two best teams in the American League with the Yankees and the Rays. I mean – I, I'm not just saying that as a fan of the Rays. I mean, the Astros having lost Garrett Cole might not be quite as good as last year. Um, the, the Rays, with the, possibly a healthier Blake Snell, a healthier Tyler Glass now could be better than last year. So I, I really do believe that we got two really strong teams in the AL East. And then in the NL East, I think the Nationals and the Braves are both good. And the, the Mets could um, finally win games that Jacob deGrom starts, you know, um, I mean, this is a team that I think finished 10 games above 500 despite having a losing record when the best pitcher in the league was pitching. If they, if they get it together, they could do something. Phillies, I mean, Bryce Harper has maybe started striking out more the past few years, but he's still young enough and good enough that he could really – I'm not going to say he's going to return to 2015 level, but he could have an amazing season. So I think that's six teams contending in the East right there. And I haven't even said the Red Sox who might be able to do something. Right. And to me, I'm looking at this from in a very simple perspective. It's 
once the playoffs start, it doesn't matter whether there was a 60-game regular season or a freaking 6 million game regular season. Once the playoffs start, it's anybody's game. The Nationals proved that. They had the pitching to get through four playoff series and a, or three playoff series and a wild card game. If you have the pitching, if you get the hot streaks in October, that's all that matters. It's about making it to the playoffs. So the way I'm thinking about this is who gets the most chances to make the playoffs. And I know there are some Central fans in the chat right now. To me, the Central, I see, and this may be unpopular. I'm not seeing this around, quote unquote, the internet. Um, the Central, to me, comes across as the deepest of the three regions. You got the Royals, Tigers, and the Pirates. You take them out, and you got contenders. And I, I know people are joking that, uh, in a 60-game format, everybody's a contender, even the Orioles, even the Marlins. I will say the sample size of 60, to me, is enough to safely say the Royals, Tigers, and Pirates don't got it in them to make the playoffs. Forgive me if you are a fan of one of those teams, but you take those three out, and you got contenders all over the place. We know about the Twins. They were a couple of pitchers away from actually giving the Yankees some kind of competition. They added some pitching depth. Not saying the right pitchers, but they added some pitching depth. The Twins, 100% a contender. The Indians, are you kidding me if Shane Bieber and Clevenger both go off? Are you telling me with Francisco Lindor, Carlos Santana, they don't have a shot? Absolutely, they have a shot. The White Sox, if Dude Food's still in here, I know he thinks the White Sox are contenders, and I would agree. Maybe the most exciting team in the Central region would be the White Sox to watch. The Cubs, I hate to say it. Absolutely contenders. They got veteran experience. They still got a little bit of window for those offensive stars to break out. Or I, when I say break out, I mean perform. The Cardinals, I have uh, long since been a fan of the way the Cardinals play baseball. The Cardinals are going to be a contender. I don't think they have it in them to make a full postseason run, but we'll get into that in a minute. I'll talk about the Brewers as maybe a dark horse. The Reds, I feel like at this point, they are no longer even a dark horse because everybody is hyping them so much. Look at the, look at the kind of offseason they had on the offensive end of the ball. If they can get some pitching, everybody knows they got a shot. So you take a look at the other two regions, and I just don't see that many opportunities to make things interesting. So for me, the Central is the deepest, and I think that sort of ties into the next point you were going to make, Yoa. Um, so we talk about how the short season, uh, whether every team can be a contender or not, maybe the season's not short enough for that. On the other hand, the season is short enough for, I think, the schedule differences to actually matter. I mean, typically a team would play, what, 72, 74 games out of 162 against their division. Now a team is playing two-thirds of their games against their division. That means if you're the Chicago White Sox, an entire one-third of your schedule is against the Royals and the Tigers, teams that had absolutely awful run differentials last year. And personally, I think that the season is short enough that the skewed schedules might actually make the difference for one of the playoff spots, especially because you consider something kind of quirky about the wild card is you're going to be comparing teams that didn't necessarily, if they're in different divisions, have any common opponents. So I think the weakness at the bottom of the AL Central might actually be enough to turn the second-place team in that division into a wild card, whether they're actually the next best team or not. 
And speaking of dark horses, you know what time it is? It is prediction time, and I'll let you start again, Yo, because there there are dark horses that are being viewed as serious contenders on the internet, and I want to bring up a couple of those as well, and I'll let you bring up a couple of those as well. But I also want to talk about teams that are in that in that little sliver where 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 I believe they are dark horses, but they're still not being ta- talked about as a serious contender to win a championship this year. So, yo, I'll let you start. Who are your dark horses in 2020? So I've got, I've got four that I've listed, though there's a few other teams I do want to talk about at some point. So the first one I'm going to go with is the White Sox. Um, maybe they've flown under the radar a bit. They, they were not good last year. They were like 72 and 89, big negative run differential. But as I already talked about, the schedule might be doing them some favors. But also they got some um, new pickups. They got Grandal. They got Nomar Mazzara. They got um, Edwin Encarnacion. Um, so looks like the White Sox made some upgrades and they might benefit from a somewhat luckier schedule as well. Um, so that's, that's the first dark horse I'll mention. Um, next one, I got the Reds. Um, NL Central is wide open. Um, the Reds, of course, improved a lot, um, adding Castellanos, adding their biggest um, free agent contract of all time in Mike Moustakis. Uh, Han, you said earlier the Reds maybe need to get some pitching. Um, the thing is, I mean, Trevor Bauer was amazing in 2018. If he's able to return to that level, that's the Reds upgrading in-house. So I, I definitely think um, – there's a chance for some improvement there. I mean, Sonny Gray was already fantastic last year. He maybe is due for a bit of regression, but there's definitely a chance for the Reds to improve beyond just their acquisitions. Yeah, and before you mention your other couple of dark horses, getting live news, uh, around the time I started the stream, and it's being mentioned in the chat, Juan Soto has tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, we'll talk about how this affects the – NL East in a bit once we get through the dark horses and we make our final predictions. But yes, for those of you who do not know yet, the Nationals' best offensive player, now that Rendon is gone, has tested positive for COVID-19. Um, and I, I'm going to use that as a segue into my dark horses before Yoa finishes up his. And I want to bring up a couple of teams that had been viewed as dark horses. And I'm going to start off with the obvious Yes, you are welcome, Yoa. The Tampa Bay Rays. Not only do I view them as a serious championship contender, spoiler alert for my predictions later, I think they will make a deep championship run this year. To me, the key for Tampa Bay, the number one key is Tyler Glasnow. Yoa knows I've been a Tyler Glasnow fan for a long time, predicted he would win Rookie of the Year in 2017. Who knew? I was just a year ahead of my time. He sucked in 2017, his rookie year, but 2018, he broke out. Tyler Glasnow, we know if he's good and Blake Snell can stay off the injuries, that Tampa Bay pitching staff might compete with the Nationals for the best overall. And I believe they are the best overall pitching staff in baseball. Once you get to the playoffs, if you have the pitching, you're in it. We saw Jackie Bradley get an ALCS MVP in 2018. That's all you need to know about playoff baseball. So, yes, I believe the Rays will make a deep run for a championship. With that I mean, said, yeah, Yoa. I'm just going to add, I mean, the Rays had the second-best ERA in the major leagues last year, despite all the time missed by Snell and Glasnow. 
Yeah, exactly. If if Blake Snell, if Blake Snell doesn't have a deep injury history. It was basically just last year. He's had some injury concerns, as many pitchers, young pitchers do, especially with him being a tad on the skinnier side. He's had some injuries, but when he when he was pitching last year, even though the the numbers did not show it, he was pitching pretty well. But for me, like I said just as with everybody else who tests positive for COVID-19 and then comes back and plays baseball, will Tyler Glasnow actually break out despite testing positive for COVID-19 earlier this year? If he breaks out, this is the Rays year. And with that said, I'm going to transition into a team that nobody talked about last year as a serious contender, but made it to the CS, the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, they lost, if anything, during the offseason. No more Marcel Ozuna for their offense. He wasn't being extremely productive, but he was an extra bat that they will miss. But the Cardinals' offense has enough to stay afloat. They have Paul Goldschmidt. They have a couple of breakout candidates in Tommy Edmond. Uh, Harrison Bader with an interesting season looming. The St. Louis Cardinals, if they can get good pitching, which I think they have the resources to get, they are going to make the playoffs. It is as simple as that. Like I said, the Central is very deep, but you all mentioned earlier, the Central also has a lot of opportunities to have the wildcard team come from their region. Now, I will move into my last two breakouts, and I will mention a team that in a 162 game, I'll mention two teams, that in a 162 game season, I am straight up saying they are not contenders. But in this format, I have the Phillies, and Milwaukee Brewers. Now, the Phillies, we know my long-lasting relationship with them. Anybody who knows me knows not a fan of their franchise. When Bryce Harper left the Nationals, I wasn't upset that he left. I was upset that he chose to go to Philadelphia. But we saw who got the last laugh there. The Milwaukee Brewers. I was in a stream the other day, and I was being attacked for saying the Milwaukee Brewers are contenders this year. Yes, they have very little pitching. Yes, who knows what we get from Josh Hader. But all, we, all they need is a couple of breakouts in the pitching staff. Take a look at their offense, and they might be the most underrated offense in baseball, despite having Christian Yelich. They got Lorenzo Cain, who, who can hit every now and then. They got Keston Hura, one of the worst defensive infielders in baseball. But can he hit? Absolutely. Avisayo Garcia. Can he defend? Pretty much no. Can he hit? A hundred percent, yes. One of the most underrated hitters in baseball over the last couple of years. I mean, Garcia is a really big question mark, though, because he batted three thirty in twenty seventeen, and then batted like two thirty six in twenty eighteen, and then he was somewhere in the middle last year. So I yeah. think he's can really go either way. Obviously, Garcia definitely could go either way, but he has the ability to go through hot streaks. So I'm going to claim that Obviously, Garcia in a sixty game format has the ability to be one of, the, one of the standout offensive players in the game. And you take a look at the rest of the lineup, Ryan Braun, not bad. Justin Smoke, how about Justin Smoke on the Blue Jays? I know Trev is crying over here, unless he's a Justin Smoke hater. I don't know why you would, would be. But Justin Smoke is a switch hit bat that can break out at any time he wants, kills the Red Sox, kills bad pitching in general. Justin Smoke I see as – even if he's not an everyday bat, we got a DH now, and he's a good defensive first baseman. So I think he do gets a lots of he does get a lot of starts at, at first base. 
So the Milwaukee Brewers, if Josh Hader is indeed the best closer in baseball this year, they just need a couple of pitchers and they can make a deep run. And finally, the Philadelphia Phillies. I'm not a huge fan of Zach Wheeler in a 162-game season. I think they overpaid for him. But they do have a talented pitcher in Zach Wheeler. They do have a former Cy Young vote-getter in Aaron Nola. They have a couple of capable bullpen arms. Sir Anthony, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Hector Neris can still pitch a little bit. They have just enough pitching to stay afloat. If that offense explodes, you never know what can happen. So I do believe the Phillies can get very dangerous if they sneak into the playoffs. Another team, I think we're maybe kind of saying that like if you have like a couple guys that are really good that get hot at the right time, that's a way to be a good team in a short season. So I'm going to go with the Angels as a possible dark horse. Um, Mike Trout of a, a healthy season of both halves of Shohei Otani. Um, Anthony Rendon, Justin Upton, maybe maybe some veteran leadership from Albert Pujols if they're actually in a situation where that would be helpful and they're not just playing meaningless games in September. So I think the Angels are definitely a possibility. I think the one thing we actually have to watch for, though, in a COVID season is whether Mike Trout's paternity leave causes any issues. Because typically, he'd probably only miss a few games. But if there's um, more advanced protocols and whatnot, whole couple weeks or something without Mike Trout would really make a big difference. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I do agree that the Angels' offense, very underrated in Major League Baseball. Take a look at their social media, not giving the Angels respect. I ranked them as the second-best offense in baseball. And, the, and Major League Baseball did not put them in their top five. So, like you said, just need a couple of clicks with that pitching staff. I will personally say I do not expect any pitching breakouts, so I believe they will miss the playoffs. I'm stating it outright. They, Dylan Bundy admitted he's just not good. So I, I, I think they, they will get a lot from their offense, but I see 11 to 10 losses on the daily from them. And speaking of 11 to 10, the other dark horse I'm going to go with is the Colorado Rockies. Um, now, I don't – I'll put it on the record now. I do not see them actually making the playoffs, but I, I do think they could surprise. Um, one thing um, some people around the league don't have any names have been saying is that they expect offense to be higher this year. Uh, both pitchers and hitters agree about that. So I thought maybe a team that's used to high-scoring games would be more at home in this type of setting. So I thought, why not? High-scoring games, Colorado Rockies. And uh, something interesting about the Rockies, the first team to state that they might be allowing fans or they have plans to allow fans in the games. And if they end up being one of the few teams that have fans at their home ballpark, is that an advantage? I, I don't know. Um but they, 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 have, they have a lot missing. They have Charlie Blackman missing. They have Ian Desmond missing. Uh, th there are a lot of question marks surrounding the Rockies, so I will also claim that the Rockies will not make the postseason. It's interesting the point you brought up about um, fans at games or whatever. So typically at MLB, the home team winning percentage is about 54%. And it's not necessarily clear all the factors that go into that. But you, you got to think the crowd is part of that. So I wonder if we'll see um, road teams being a bit better this year. On the flip side, you had teams like Minnesota Twins last year who went 55 and 26 on the road. And I have to wonder whether there's just some regression due to them just because who does that? Right. Yeah, uh, you, get, you get the sort of Philadelphia 76ers um, sort of 
reverse in effect sometimes in baseball. But I will say we're moving into or we're segueing into our final segment of the podcast. For those of you sticking around, really appreciate it. If you have questions, let us know now because we are moving into the final segment before we go raid somebody. Uh, and with that, let's talk about some betting favorites. I know some of you like passing money around. Why not make some money if you are in quarantine and you can legally pass money around? We'll talk about uh, betting favorites for a World Series champion. Now, before we move into that, I do want to mention a couple of names that will be relevant for betting purposes this year. Rookie of the year races, extremely interesting this year. I would stay away. In the National League, Gavin Lux, no longer a clear-cut favorite. Might be manipulating service time. Might also just be realizing he isn't necessarily that good. Don't quote me saying he's not good. He maybe isn't as good. Whatever they are doing, Gavin Lux no longer the clear-cut favorite to win there. American League, I will stick with Jesus Luzardo as my pick for the American League Rookie of the Year. But in a 60-game season, I'm not touching any of those bets. Could be pretty much anybody. Now, Ahan, what's the consensus on guys that are already established players elsewhere being seen as Rookie of the Year contenders, like Yoshitomo Sutsugo? Yeah, so uh, I personally, I don't see a Shohei Otani anywhere uh, in the making this year. Um, Shogo Akiyama comes to mind for the Reds. He will definitely get a lot of opportunity, uh, and I will use this as a way of saying to the people getting extremely hyped about the Reds calm down because they do lack depth. Um, I don't see any particular people um, breaking out already established elsewhere. Now, I do think there are a lot of interesting candidates that didn't appear originally at first, but none of them come from elsewhere. Talk about Nate Pearson. We got Blue Jays fans in the chat. Talk about Luis Robert. I know Dude Food's going to ban me from his chat if I don't mention him. Uh, Casey Mize from the Tigers might get some opportunity. We'll also have Brendan McKay. Joe Adele might get some opportunity. But if you're going to place a bet on somebody right now to win American League Rookie of the Year, I'm going to bring up the name, and you can thank me later, Jared Kelnick, not even in the top five for American League Rookie of the Year favorites right now. But I'm placing my bold predictions right now. Jared Kelenic is your 2020 American League Rookie of the Year. He will get opportunity. Bruh. But, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, yo. I, I don't necessarily see a Shohei Otani-esque player coming out. And with that, we're going to move right into our betting odds highlights. So according to Bovada, if you were watching on YouTube, popping up right now, all the bets – all the money lines for the bets you can place on rookie or not rookie world series champions as of yesterday, I believe the day before opening day, got the Dodgers at the top at plus three seventy five. For those of you who don't know, that means if you place a hundred dollars on the Dodgers, the payout is $375 right at the very bottom. We got the Pittsburgh pirates and the Baltimore Orioles, usual suspects, if you place $100 on any of them at your risk, if you even have $100 to throw away, and the world explodes, the payout is $30,000 on Bovada. 
And I will talk about a couple of those teams, but you know, I'll let you go again. What do you feel can be a risk worth taking? So a team here that I think is probably undervalued at plus 8,000. So that means that they're um, 21st or 22nd in terms of odds, the Texas Rangers. So this is a team that had Lance Lynn and Mike Biner, almost identical stat lines last year, except one's left-handed, one's right-handed, both in the top 10 in the American League and wins above replacement, even though some of their traditional metrics don't really pop out at you. But keep in mind, who else is joining that Rangers pitching staff if he's healthy enough? Former two-time Cy Young winner Corey Kluber. Um, so he could potentially be the number three guy on that staff. And they also adding um, Jordan Lyles, who was really good after the trade deadline last year. So the Rangers staff is super deep. And then also don't forget, um, last year in the 70 games where he was healthy, um, Joey Gallo did a few things other than hit home runs and strike out. He actually was batting like 270 or so before the All-Star break. A healthy season of Joey Gallo, um, a healthy full season, granted be less games than he played last year, but that would really be something to see if Joey Gallo kept his power but did something other than bat 210. So I, I, I think the Rangers are definitely undervalued at plus 8,000. So I don't know if it's the kind of thing where you bet on them, they make the playoffs, then you start hedging your bet because the Rangers aren't actually going all the way. Yeah, I, I, I want to say that while I don't think the Rangers are winning at all this year, just mostly because I have trust issues with that pitching staff. We saw Lance Lynn uh, break out in the worst ad, but do I think he is capable of winning a Cy Young this year? Absolutely the hell not. But I will mention, I really like your logic with that. Joey Gallo, can have an incredible story over the last two years. As you said, couldn't do anything other than strike out or hit a home run two years ago. Last year, completely reinvents himself. Is an extremely productive offensive player. He can be one of the best stories in baseball this year if he tests positive for COVID-19 and then comes out and wins an MVP. And I think he has the ability to do that. And if we get MVP Joey Gallo, we already know a lot of other home run hitters, despite the lack of Nomar Mazzara on that team. Even Elvis Andrews is a very productive offensive player still. That pitching staff might be legit enough to make a deep run. So I do like that pick. I already kind of talked about the Reds as a dark horse that everybody's saying. So actually the Reds are listed as having the seventh best odds of winning the World Series, which I feel is actually pretty appropriate value for them. I mean, if you saw how the Reds were last year, you'd be shocked to see them this high. Um, they're listed ahead of the Cardinals, which maybe I maybe have some gripes with that. And this is also a team, uh, their manager, David Bell, this is his second year ever managing. So I don't know if he'll have the proper background to guide them through a deep playoff run, but I also don't know if managerial experience is a big deal. I mean, Dave Roberts had success early in his managerial career. Dave Martinez had success early in his managerial career. Alex Cora, a lot of these um, guys who are early in their career, Brian Snicker, Mike Schilt, um, you, the experience factor for managers is maybe overrated. So maybe that's not really anything to hold against the Reds. All right. So I, I, will, I will just repeat and put it on record. You Reds lovers, take a look at their depth. Uh, I do not believe they have a reliable pitching depth, and I do not believe they have reliable offensive depth. Do I think there are big names that could break out and carry them? Absolutely. Everybody knows 
what Mike Moustakas is capable of, what Nel, uh, I was going to say Nelson Castellanos. Uh, I obviously mean, mean Nicholas Cruz. Uh, <laughs> Nick Castellanos, uh, we all know what he can do. Um, but it, is this team really relying on Alex Blandino being their number one bench bat? I believe he was sent down, but I think uh, he might be called up. They sent down Aristides Aquino for some reason. That is their best bench bat. He's going to be called up. That is their best bench bat. Are they relying on Nick Senzel being their everyday center fielder? Or is that Shogo Akiyama's job? Are they relying on Freddie Galvis being their only shortstop? These are not championship team. This, that's not a championship mentality to me. So I think the Reds are actually being a little overvalued just because people are getting very top-heavy with their thinking. So we'll finish up with my betting favorites. I'm going to mention the Nationals just because I think the fact that they lost Rendon but got Starlin Castro, Eric Thames, and yes, Juan Soto just tested positive for COVID-19. If Juan Soto comes back, the Nationals are getting offense, whether or not you like it. We all know what their pitching staff can do. Again, all they need to do is sneak into the playoffs, and they have what it takes. They have the experience now. I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Nationals have experience winning in the playoffs. So at plus 2,000, definitely a bet that I will be making. And if Juan Soto... If this news is actually 100% confirmed that he will be away from the team for a while, that those odds could go up, could go even more in favor of the Nationals in terms of it'll go worse for the Nationals and in favor of people betting on them. So maybe I would wait for the Nationals' odds to get a little worse, and I would still bet on them. So I will just mention them as a team to look out for. The Phillies, I mentioned a dark horse. Their odds, a ridiculous plus 3,000 could be a bet worth taking. And I mentioned the Cardinals, not going to repeat about them. But I'm going to use this to segue into my final World Series predictions before we wrap this stream up. Again, if you have uh, questions in the chat that you want answered within the next five minutes, go ahead, mention them. Later that night, it was announced that the playoffs will indeed be expanded to 16 teams. So while you and I did make predictions at the end of the stream, I'm actually going to cut all of those out because they're no longer relevant. But if you want to see me predicting the 16 playoff teams and making a super early playoff bracket, subscribe to the channel right now and that video will be coming out soon. I want to give a huge shout out to everybody who showed up to the stream, starting with my partner, Yoa. He was awesome. We had about 50 people show up to my Twitch podcast debut, which is absolutely ridiculous. So thank you for the support. I will most likely be doing more streams in the future. So my Twitch link will be in the description below. For those of you watching on YouTube, the podcast link will be in the description below. Thank you again for all your support and welcome back Major League Baseball.